At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. It really is a privilege to be together on this Easter Sunday together, and I'm excited for us to really talk about this reality that Jesus is risen. But with this being a significant holiday, I I was thinking about holidays and just how the holidays that we celebrate in America, especially our biggest ones, sometimes get obscured by the extra things we add to them. The, The real meaning gets lost because of all the other things that we do at those times of the year. I was thinking, just imagine if an alien from outer space were to come to the earth for some of our American holidays. What might they assume was going on? So let's just think about this for a moment. What if an alien from outer space showed up in New York at Thanksgiving? They might look around and see underdog held by strings walking through the streets of our city, and they might hear about people eating turkey or people watching the Dallas Cowboys play football. And if they saw that, they might think that that day was about turkey and football and underdog. Some of you might think that that day is about turkey and football and underdog, but the reality is that Thanksgiving is about more than that, isn't it? It's about a time for us to remember how God has provided for us to be thankful to Him. Now, imagine this, if that alien from outer space were to come down a month later in December and they were to be in America during Christmas time, they might think that that holiday is all about elves on shelves and people sneaking into homes late at night and leaving gifts and taking cookies, or they might think of trees and lights and gingerbread men. But if that's what you think Christmas is, if that's what an alien would observe, then they would be mistaken. Because we know that Christmas is about more than that. Christmas is actually about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born so that you and I might know God. And if we were to even take this holiday, the Easter holiday, and if an alien from outer space were to come to this planet and land in America on this day, they might assume that this has something to do with jelly beans and eggs and bunnies. But the reality is that Easter is about so much more than that, isn't it? Easter is about Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave that offers us the hope of eternity. Now, when I remind us all of those things, there's at least a part of you that is nodding in agreement. You understand that dynamic. You understand what those events are really all about, and specifically what Easter is all about. But don't just take my word for it, and don't just take what maybe sounds right in your own mind. But as we think about the Easter holiday, I want us to think about what Jesus said about it. Jesus actually made a definitive statement about what the meaning is of Easter, what this day, this weekend is all about that we celebrate every year and how it transforms the world. Jesus gave that statement about what this is all about in the day after, the day of his resurrection when he met with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem, when this is what he said to them. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these 
things. In that statement to his disciples, Jesus defined what Easter is all about. It's about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again. And through that event, through his person, we have the opportunity for forgiveness of sins if we turn from our sense of self-reliance and trust in him instead. And that message is so significant that it has application and implication for everyone all over the face of the earth. So that whether you meet somebody in your own home or next door, around the block, or even around the world, this message bears significance for all of us. Because this message was intended for all peoples, all nations. And we are witnesses of these things, that we might celebrate them and proclaim them around the world, that others might come to know Jesus as their Savior. See, this is what Jesus said this day is all about, and the meaning of the events of his death and of his resurrection. But when I even say this, and you begin to think about it, a question may well up inside of your minds. And that question might be this, didn't this happen an awful long time ago? And if it did happen a long time ago, what in the world does it have to do with me today? How can these events that are so ancient have any implication or application for my life? And the answer to that question, friends, is that it absolutely does apply to us. Because Jesus was something more than just another man, another story, another time. He's the actual Son of God. And on that day of his resurrection, he spent time with his followers and explained to them two significant things that would help us know how he is unique and why his message matters for us even today. And this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 49, what we're going to see is we're going to see two things, those two things that help us understand why Jesus' death and resurrection matter for us. So what do we see in those things? Well, the the first thing that we see is this. The Scriptures reveal our salvation. The Scriptures reveal our salvation. Now, we see this in verses 13 through 35 of chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. I want to just orient us by beginning to read verse 13. It says, that very day, what very day? The very day that Jesus rose from the dead. That very day, two of them, two of who? Two of his disciples. That very day, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're they're on a a walk, two of Jesus' disciples, going from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus. Now, if we were to see this on a map, Jerusalem is here, Emmaus is there, and the distance between those two is about seven miles. If you've ever been to the Brookhaven neighborhood in Norman, it's about seven miles from here to there. So you can imagine how long it would have taken them to make that journey. They were walking, not driving, not in a train. They were walking that journey. Two, maybe three hours on the dusty roads. They go for a walk. And as they're walking, these two disciples of Jesus are are discussing everything that had just happened in the city. And as they're discussing everything that just happened in the city and Jesus' death and now his body's missing and they're quite confused, A third person joins them in their walk. 
And they look over and they see this person has joined them, but they don't recognize him. But the scripture is clear to us who it is. It's Jesus himself, the risen Savior, is walking with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him in part because of some supernatural blinding that had happened, not literal blinding, but they just didn't recognize him. But also it demonstrates how little an expectation they had that Jesus was really resurrected. They're walking along talking about him past tense. He's walking by them in the present. They missed him. So as they're walking down this road to Emmaus, they begin to talk to Jesus, though not recognizing him. And, and Jesus says, hey, what are you guys talking about? What, 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 are you, what are you talking about right now in this moment? And their response is hysterical. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor into Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, are you the only one who doesn't know? And remember, who are they talking to? They're talking to Jesus. Do I not know, Jesus might say? I've lived it, right? You weren't on the inside of the tomb. I was, right? But they don't recognize him. And so they say, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened to him in these days? And then after that setup, Jesus said, well, what are you talking about? Baiting them into this conversation so they can reveal their perspective And they continue to talk, and they said, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped, past tense, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What a remarkable moment, right? They're describing to Jesus their understanding of those events. Jesus died. With him, our hope died as well, and we don't know where he is now. Right there. But they missed it. So Jesus responds to them, and he says to them in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, friends, this is a remarkable thing. Because what did Jesus have at his disposal to argue his identity to Cleopas and the other disciple? The answer to that is everything. He could have done anything, he could have jumped really high. He could have walked on water. He could have found a blind man in a a nearby village and, and given him sight. He could have found someone in a graveyard and brought them back to life. He's Jesus. There were no limits to what he could do. And here he is in his glorified state right in front of them. But instead of performing some phenomena in this moment, Jesus instead has a conversation with them. And he and he says to them this amazing thing. He says, Hey, I'm going to talk about the Bible with y'all. And which scriptures was he talking about? 
Was he talking about the New Testament or the Old Testament? He's talking about the Old Testament. Why do we know that? Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. It was still being lived. He opens up the Old Testament to them, and he begins to describe the events of the last 24 to 72 hours on the basis of the Old Testament scriptures that have been written anywhere from 500 to 1,500 years before that moment that they were living in. And he begins to describe, Jesus does, where he shows up from the very beginning, that this was not an accident, but that Messiah suffering on the cross for our sins was God's plan going all the way back to the beginning. Now, where do we see that? Wouldn't you love to know the verses that Jesus turned to? I would love to know that. Maybe when we get to heaven one day, we'll, we'll see Cleopas and we'll say, Cleopas, hey, what, what verses did he use? But even the fact that we're thinking that way reveals to us a couple of things. First of all, it's, it's amazing to think that there's not just one verse. It's not like the Old Testament just has one random verse hidden away in one you know, dark corner that talked about Jesus coming and bleeding and dying and raising from the dead. The, the idea that that, that was some hidden secret um, is not true. There are a number of verses in the Old Testament. And so as Jesus talked, there were many verses he could have turned to. And so it lets us, it reminds us of that. But, but also it's just powerful for us to see Jesus taking the time, walking along, explaining these things to them through something that you and I have access to even today. And that's the scriptures. Well, what might he have turned to? We don't know exactly, but what might he have turned to? Well, he might have taken them to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis was written by Moses. It, of course, describes events that took place at the beginning of what we know of as time. But Moses wrote them some 1,400 years before the time of Jesus. And when Moses wrote those events describing what had happened long ago as God had revealed them to him, he talked about how even in the Garden of Eden, There was this prophecy that came out that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the snake, though the seed of the woman's heel would be bruised. This idea was a foreshadowing that would come of the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, who would be wounded, but who would win our victory through his pain. Not only do we see that in Genesis 3, but also Jesus might have taken them to Genesis 22 and said, to Cleopas and the other disciple, hey, do you remember Abraham? They're like, yeah, yeah, how can we not remember Abraham? Abraham's the big guy in the Old Testament, right? We remember Abraham. Do you remember how Abraham went up on a hillside in Genesis 22 and took his son Isaac, but God provided a sacrifice in his place? He's like, yes, of course we know this account. Jesus might have said, well, guess what? God took his son, me, up on the hill and offered me as a substitute in your place. And he didn't have to stop there. He could have told the events of Numbers 21. He said, remember back when the people of God were wandering in the wilderness? And they said, yes, we remember that time. He said, remember how the snakes got loose in the camp and they bit people and their poison was causing people to get sick and die. And God had a, a bronze snake put on a stick and that snake was raised. And all who looked on that snake in faith saw the poison leave their bodies and their lives be restored. And they said, yes, yes, we're aware of that story. He says, don't you remember how Jesus talked about that? In John chapter 3, in his message after that experience with Nicodemus, when he said that just as the snake was raised in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man will be raised up, that whoever would look on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Remember that. Or he might have taken them to Psalm 22. 
written by David a thousand years before the time of Jesus. But in Psalm 22, we, we have this statement. It says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Jesus would say, those things are what happened to Jesus on the cross. He suffered and died for you. Or he he might have taken them to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, written 700 years before the time of Christ. And he might have quoted to them, that the Messiah was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, Jesus was not lacking material in this moment. He walked them through the Old Testament scripture and he pointed out to them how this moment in history was not an accident, but it was the plan of God for their salvation. Now again, Jesus could have just opened their eyes. He could have done a miracle in front of them, but he walks them through the scriptures And I think it's so powerful for us to remember that he walked them through the scriptures because you and I don't have access to walk the streets of Israel with him, to see Bartimaeus healed of his blindness, to see Lazarus raised from the dead. And if it took that for us to believe in Jesus, then we would say, I wish we would have lived at that time. But isn't it interesting that Jesus, to argue his divinity in this moment, what did he do? He does with them what is available to us. He walks them through the scripture. And he says, this is where you can see me here. I am unique. I am the son of God. You cannot ignore me. And the scriptures reveal that salvation quite clearly. Friends, after hearing this, it says their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? Well, He talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. The scriptures illuminated reality for them. And through the work of the spirit and the power of the word, they came to see Jesus for who he really was. And that is available to us as well. You realize that the scriptures reveal to us our salvation. The scriptures reveal to us Jesus. And if the scriptures reveal to us Jesus, the question we ought to ask ourselves is, Are we reading it? Are we reading the scripture? Are we turning to it? If this is how we can get to know God, if this is how we can get to know Jesus, if this is how we understand where salvation is found, shouldn't we read it? Shouldn't we look to it? might say it this way. Imagine your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, a best friend is living in another town, maybe because of deployment, maybe because of a time away for whatever reason. And let's imagine that they were to write you a letter. That letter comes, and you get that letter in the mail. My wife's name's Kimberly. This letter comes to me. I look at it. Look at that. It's a letter from Kimberly. But what if instead of opening it, I just set it on the counter? The next day, another letter comes. I look at it. Kimberly, counter. Kimberly, counter. And we don't ever open and read those notes. What would you assume to be true of me? You would assume that I like the idea 
of a wife more than I love my wife. Because I'm choosing just to imagine an idea of her, not to read and understand her for who she really is. Friends, God has given us 66 letters that he has mailed to us in the scripture. Would we open them and read them and come to know who God is through them? It's an incredible gift that he's given to us. And through it, we come to understand that Jesus is not someone we should ignore, but he's the son of God, the eternal son of God, who is unique among all else and offers a salvation that endures for us that can be found nowhere else. Would you but read the scripture and see that for yourself? If you're looking for a place to start, you might begin with Luke's gospel where these verses are found. You might begin with John's gospel and see the argument that he gives for why we should believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have eternal lives ourselves. Or you might download the Bible app on uh, your phone or device and, and get a reading plan there that you might read it to that you might come to know our Savior as well. The Scriptures reveal our salvation. There's a second really important thing that we see inside of these verses. And that second thing that we see is that the Savior risen is our salvation. Not just the Scriptures revealing it, but the Savior risen. And we see that in what transpires after this. So after Jesus reveals himself to Cleopas and the other disciple, Jesus disappears, and so do the other two disciples. Now, Jesus moved in that only way that a glorified Jesus could move, right? Fast, swift, gone in a moment. But Cleopas and the other disciple, they take off, and they go back the seven miles to Jerusalem. They've got to tell the other disciples what has just happened, what they have just seen. If it took them three hours to walk down the hill to Emmaus, I'm guessing they made it back to Jerusalem in an hour and a half flat. It was a personal best time. And they go and they gather with the other disciples and they begin to celebrate with the other disciples what they had seen. We've seen Jesus. They said, Peter saw him too. And there's this moment of celebration and excitement and they begin to talk. And then suddenly they look over and there's another in the room. And Cleopas and the other disciple are going, hey, that happened to us the other day, earlier today. But it was Jesus. And he says to them, peace to you. And they're obviously terrified at this risen one who is with them, thinking that he is a ghost. This is what Jesus says. He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate before them. What's happening in this moment? Well, what's happening is that Jesus is revealing that he really is raised from the dead. I mean, he's giving them proof. What proof did he give them? Well, he actually was there. They could hear him with their ears. They could see him with their eyes. They could touch him with their hands. He says, put your hands on my my wounds and on my feet where the, the nails have gone through. It really is me. And not only could they see him and hear him and touch him, but, but he even says, now I want to really blow your mind. I'm hungry. Do y'all have anything to eat? And they're like, surely we got something. And they, they went and got a filet of fish sandwich and they handed it off and he eats the sandwich right there in front of him. Why did Jesus eat the sandwich? 
Jesus ate the fish, not because he needed the physical strength in that moment. He's glorified at this moment. But he did it to demonstrate to them that he really was bodily resurrected from the grave. And in that moment, the disciples and us, as we read the historical account here, have verifiable proof of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Now, this is significant because as the early church began to go and be his witnesses, as we saw earlier, all over the Roman Empire, everywhere they went, their message was quite simple. Jesus died, rose again, believe in him. Jesus died, rose again, believe in him. They said it again and again and again and again and again. If you are intent on stamping out the Jesus movement, what would you have to do to destroy that message? Produce a body. All they had to do was produce Jesus' body. No, 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 no. He's not risen. He's dead. Here he is. But they could not do it. There was verifiable proof. The empty tomb screamed out that Jesus was not normal, that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Not only did it provide proof that the body couldn't be reproduced, but clearly the disciples believed that he was resurrected because they had seen him and touched him and talked to him and watched him eat the filet of fish. They were convinced that he was raised. So much so that they would die for that message. They wouldn't die for a lie. They're dying for the truth because they had seen him with their own eyes. They had touched him with their own hands. They had heard him with their own ears. Friends, the, the resurrected Savior, the risen one, demonstrates that Jesus is special. He's unique, and he demands a response from each and every one of us. Not only does his resurrection provide this verifiable proof, but also, friends, it provides us theological hope. Because of the resurrection that Jesus had over the grave, a number of things are true. I want to highlight three of them. The first thing that's true because of his resurrection is that we have a new identity. We live in a world that wants to identify us so many different ways, by our ethnicity, by our gender, by our age. They want to put us into boxes and files and folders. But if we are in Christ, then what identifies us is Jesus. None of those things. Isn't that amazing? Some of us are walking around beyond those obvious demographic identifiers or walking around feeling identified by some failure of our past. In Christ, it is possible for us to be identified by someone greater. Not only do we see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But it's really hinted at in the resurrection of Jesus. Also, we can have a new life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says that Jesus arose to a newness of life. And because of that, if we are connected to him, if we have believed in him, we too have the hope of walking about in a newness of life. That means that we have the hope of living a different life, a life that is reflective of God's love for us and his relationship with us. We get to live in, in light of that life of obedience and the power of the Spirit. Hope for today, not just tomorrow. Because he lives, we also have an eternity that is secure. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 and 21, and chapter 
15 verses uh, 54 and 55. In, in those verses in particular, he says, Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of a resurrection that is available to us. Jesus rose from the dead and he made a way for us to rise from the dead as well. So that if we know Christ, then death is not the end for us, but we have the hope of an eternity with him. This is the hope of every Christian funeral. It is the hope for all of us as we look to the day when we will leave this earth as well. The anchor to that is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Through his death, he paid the penalty for our sins. But through his resurrection, we have the hope of new life in Christ. Friends, inside of these verses, in the first day of his resurrection, Jesus argues to his disciples and recorded for us that we should take him seriously for all time because he is revealed in the scriptures to be the Son of God. And his risen body emphatically salutes who he said that he was. But here's the thing. How does that become connected to our lives and our reality? Well, it becomes connected through faith in Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then this is what awaits you. This is who you are now, and this is where you're headed. May all of us in this room not wait, but even today be trusting in Christ for the new life that he provides, even on this Easter Sunday morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this opportunity to worship today and the the truth of your word. I pray that you would help us through it to have our hearts warmed as well. Just as Cleopas and the other disciple, that we would lean in and we would recognize your son Jesus for who he is and that we would trust in him and him alone for our salvation. Thank you for loving us in this way and providing for us in this way. Give us now the faith to follow him in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.